Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight on the program, we're talking about conspiracy theorists, weight loss drugs, pneumonia, and the 11 autoimmune diseases you can get after COVID. We're also going to be talking about sober curious. Hmm, what's that? The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. Well, I'm so delighted to have this guest back on the show this evening because I do love this subject and uh, I'm sure you do as well. And, and many people like to weigh in on this when we're talking about conspiracy theorists. Uh, so joining me on the line to talk about this is Tim Caulfield. He's a Canada Research Chair in Health Law and Policy. He's a professor, faculty of law and school of public health and research director, Health Law Institute at the University of Alberta. On Twitter, he is at Caulfield Tim, C-A-U-L-F-I-E-L-D. Tim, good evening, Tim. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Maureen. Oh, I'm delighted that you accepted my invitation. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, as an American, I was quite interested that uh, RFK Jr., um, and, and of course, being from the Boston area and knowing the Kennedys quite intimately, um, the as everybody from Boston thinks they do, um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. launched an independent 2024 run, aside from politically, which is, uh, you know, he'll be taking... Uh, votes li likely from Biden. He'll be taking votes likely from Trump. That's likely who's going to be <laughs> in this presidential election, although anything, or the next presidential election, although anything can happen. But he's somebody who has been promoting conspiracies for a long time, much to his family's chagrin, I must say. Um, everything from vaccines to mass shootings to his father's death um, to who COVID targets um, and uh, prescription drugs and, you know, that the 2004 presidential election was stolen as well. It wasn't just the most, the one we just had with Trump and Biden. Um, there's so many conspiracy theories, but you know what? He is gaining popularity. People listen to him. What What are your thoughts on RFK Jr.? It, it is remarkable. And by the way, uh, are you really from Boston, Maureen? Yes, yes. I, I am, was are born. You? No. I just want to give you how cl close I, connected I am to this story. I was born in Cape Cod. Oh, right? wow. <laughs> Not far from the Ken Kennedy compound. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so wow. it's personal. It's personal. Hyannis Port. <laughs> uh, he has been a menace. He has just been an absolute menace. In, and it's not like he's you know putting out ideas that sort of are on the margins and, you know, maybe some, there's some scientific validity to them or some facts that can be used to shore them up. He's spreading stuff that is just out and out lies. You know, one of the most famous, of course, is the idea, he's been a big supporter of the idea that, you know, vaccines cause autism. They mm -hmm. do not. Study after study has demonstrated that. In fact, we've probably wasted tens of millions of dollars uh, doing clinical trials to demonstrate that this is a lie um, because of the misinformation that is pushed by people like RFK Jr. And, and I don't know if you knew this, he was once listed as one of the disinformation dozen. In other words, an individual, you know, as a result of yep. looking at all the evidence, an individual that is one of the most responsible for spreading health misinformation. So, yeah, the guy's done, you know, incredible damage, and, and not just in the health space, as you noted, you know, off the top. It, he's spread conspiracies about so many things, but there seems to be, there seems to be a thirst for it now. Really, I think, since we've 
emerged in this misinformation era. Uh, absolutely. There certainly is. And one of the other conspiracy theor- theories that he was touting was that COVID-19 was targeted to attack Caucasians and black people. And the people who are most immune are Ashkenazi Jews and Chinese people. And, um, you know, these are the kinds of things, though, that people lom on to. People believe him. He's going to get a, garner a significant amount of the vote. Uh, the, and the independents vote. <laughs> they are voters in the elections, in the presidential elections. Uh, you're right. And, and there's much discussion about the potential impact he's going to have on the election. What's interesting, and again, you notice off the top, is I, I, a very recent analysis said that he's going to pull votes also from Trump. Right. So it's yes. going to be it's it, you know, everyone thinks, oh, whenever there's a, you know, a, an independent, it hurts the Democrats more than the Republicans. But there's some analysis is suggest. So it'll be interesting to see how that that plays out. But, you know, first of all, he lots and lots of evidence of the adverse harm, you know, the adverse impact he's had on, in various domains, particularly in health. But the other interesting thing is it really speaks to this normalization, right, of conspiracy theories and pseudoscience that we're not all aghast at the things he's saying, you know, that there is this huge swath of the populace that is comfortable with these kinds of lies. And, and I'm sure you've seen this kind of content also, Maureen, where people go, well, maybe he's, you know, he's spreading lies and, and some of the stuff is iffy, but I still like what he's saying. It still speaks to me. So it's as if the truth doesn't matter. Uh, it's almost like they've accepted that conspiracy theories are, are part of the game. Um, we still like his message, and that's that's kind of heartbreaking. It certainly is. And, you know, he's even tied the use of or the prescribing of the antidepressant Prozac uh, to school shootings, stating to Elon Musk that prior to the introduction of Prozac, we had almost none of these events. And, of course, there's no scientifically established correlation between any psychiatric drugs and, and mass violence. But, but, again, people, as you say, they may or may not believe him. They may think he's, you know, on the edge a bit, but they're following him. I mean, they are, people are excited that he is running. And, you know, where does somebody come up with these ideas? Like, how does this conspiracy theory work? <laughs> well, I, you know, there's a, a story for every conspiracy theory, almost, Maureen. But but let's take that COVID one you used earlier, right? The idea that COVID was genetically engineered to target particular races, and I'm putting races in quotes, by the way. Um, that, you know, there was a study that, that you know, if you squint at it, you know, it, uh, you know in particularly bad light, it might suggest that, you know, there's some, the, the genomically there are, are, are certain populations that may respond differently to um, the virus, right? He used that study to support his position. And then if, if you are someone who wants to support that position, the, your confirmation bias kicks in, um, the idea that it placed your ideology, that kicks in, uh, your in-group signaling, that kicks in. And by the way, research to back up all of this, and that sort of draws you into uh, the conspiracy theory, and you begin to accept it. And then once you become part of that community, um, it becomes much more difficult to climb out of the rabbit hole. Right. You know, I, I know couples who have actually divorced because one became a conspiracy theorist during the pandemic and the other one couldn't take it at all um, any longer. And and so it's just, 
I mean, it's just unbelievable that, you know, you take a, maybe there's a bit of truth or a hint of something that could be related and, and tw then twisted. And then people start believing it because they do have these doubts and, but people aren't relying on science anymore or a lot of people aren't relying on science anymore, despite data, there's so much evidence, so much data, so many studies done to discredit some of these conspiracy theorists, but then people don't believe the, the clinical trials and the data. Well, part of it, I think, is that there are these loud contrarian voices that create the illusion, that create the illusion of false balance, right? The idea that, that oh, there are, you know, a large portion of the scientific community that believes this COVID misinformation uh, and the medical community and the researchers are actually quite divided on this and and you know one side is being silenced when in fact that's not the case at all uh, on the contrary there are these very loud contrarians that are making that alternative perception of reality seem more legitimate um, and in fact the scientific consensus um, the body of evidence is, you know is on the other side and uh, in fact, we've done research on this point ourselves, and, and we found that false balance, right, that false, that both-sidedism that is out there can do real harm and is doing real harm. My guest is Tim Caulfield, Professor, Faculty of Law and School of Public Health, Research Director, Health Law Institute at the University of Alberta. Thanks for staying on the line, Tim. This subject is I'm so passionate about. I just go crazy on Instagram when I see this. And re results suggest... Research suggests direct connection between digital misinformation and erroneous health decisions. I see so many people on Instagram getting misinformation or no information or incorrect information or invalid information from non-medical people who are trying to sell services or products or programs that have no evidence behind it. And it, it according to research, it seems that people who believe in conspiracies like rejecting the COVID-19 vaccine or prefer alternative medicine are more likely to endorse these mythical causes of cancer. And I, I heard somebody in my clinical practice this week say they were going on a trip and they were talking about a new suitcase that, that they had purchased and um, they were trying to pack it and they just, they were going through cancer treatments, but needed room for all of their vitamins and supplements. And I just thought, oh, you know, take those out put some clothes in instead. <laughs> um, and these, this kind of misinformation, you know, it, it really has become, I think, one of the negative aspects of uh, the digital world. And I, and I just want to talk to you about why people who are conspiracy theorists tend to endorse these mythical causes of cancer as opposed to the real causes of cancer. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It, it's incredibly frustrating and and it's exploitive. You know, it, mm -hmm. it often often these are individuals that are selling products and they're exploiting people at you know one of the worst times in their lives. Right? They're, often these people are looking for hope. They're looking for answers, mm -hmm. and um, they're finding these you know these clinicians, these organizations, these entities that are willing to sell them these products. And, and this is something that we've actually. We've actually studied, and they often use you know testimonials, right, to push it. And I'm sure you've seen that, um, mm -hmm. and evidence tells us that an anecdote, a testimonial, will often be more persuasive than the clinical data, and that's exactly what what happens here. And, and that study found, and there's been others. I'm sure you know that there have been a couple of other studies that have came to the you know same conclusion as this: a strong correlation between you know believing conspiracy theories, being anti-vax. 
you know, being more in favor of alternative medicine and believing mythical causes of cancer. And that's really important because that means that, that there's this correlation between not, not understanding what actually causes cancer and, um, and these other kinds of, of beliefs that also might do harm. And there was a study that came out a couple of years ago that found same conclusion, right, you know, that people who believe in mythical, that more people believe these mythical causes of cancer, and believing mythical causes of cancer means you're less likely to act on the actual causes of cancer. You know, do, do things that will actually make a difference. In addition to that, you're buying products that might do harm, and there's been studies that have found that too. There was a big study from the U.S. again just a couple years ago that found that if you use alternative therapies, your cancer outcomes are in general less uh, are, are worse are, are worse, right? And mm-hmm. and a, a study that came out again just weeks ago, <laughs> weeks ago. And this is a survey, so you have to be careful not to overinterpret it. Found as many as seventy percent, seventy percent of cancer patients. Uh, use some form of alternative therapy. So it, yeah, it's it's hard. Oh. It's maddening. It's heartbreaking. And and I, and I get it. I get why patients are attracted to this uh, this information. But you know, we've got to do more. I, I know that people are desperate, and it can be a very difficult time. I just wanted to mention some of the mythical causes of uh, cancer. What people think causes cancer. So eating food containing artificial sweeteners or additives, and genetically modified food, using microwave ovens, aerosol containers, mobile phones cleaning products or living near power lines and feeling stressed when actual causes of cancer include smoking, consuming alcohol. Nobody believes that one. Low levels of physical activity. No one believes that one either. Getting sunburned as a child, family history of cancer, HPV infection and being overweight. Those are the actual causes of cancer. But yes, you're right. Like people who may not believe in vaccines may be at higher risk for human papillomavirus, um, which can cause cancer. Uh, it's, it's just so maddening. It just it just drives me crazy. But um, the, and, you know, is there anything that we can do about it? Like, what, what can we possibly do about it? I, I, I'm in clinical practice, and quite honestly, I focus on bladder and bowel health, sexual health, vaginal health. And I see these people that are, that by, you use the word clinicians, I have to say that they're not clinicians, <laughs> they're marketers. That's right. Uh, first That's of right. all, and, and they are promoting, heavily promoting, and they will sell a program. And then, you know, people will comment and say, you know, you said the program was going to be $10, but it was a really hard push before I could even buy the program to buy the $100 program. And, you know, what am I getting? And, and I don't like the name of the program. It sounds kind of uh, silly. You know, it, I'm questioning your credentials. Oh, well, I just want to make it light and easy. And, you know, and, and these people who are literally marketers and all the time. And you mentioned to me that all of the top sort of anti-vax people all were selling products. Um, in the U.S. during the pandemic as well. So this is a very common thing. But why aren't people, I mean, are people smarter? Are people buying this stuff? You know, I I do think, look, anyone can fall for misinformation, right? You know that, Maureen. You know, I've fallen for it. You probably haven't. You're too smart. But (laughs) I have. Anyone can fall for it, right? And and I think, you know, what you want to do is you want to take a step back, right? Because I think one of the reasons that, this happens is our information environment is so chaotic, right? It's so yeah. chaotic. And I, my wife is a, a family physician and, you know, what she said, what you said maps what her experience is, is too. And when you're hearing, especially when you're in a desperate situation, you're looking for hope. And, and sometimes marketers now with the algorithms on, on our, our 
computers, um, they'll put as soon as they, as soon as you get a cancer diagnosis, somehow they find you. And I've heard, yes, I'm sure you've exactly. heard this story too, right? So yes. it it can be in, this chaotic in, information environment. I think is one of the problems. So this idea of pausing, taking a step back, focusing on the the science informed basics, uh, and then talking to a science informed clinician, a real exactly. clinician. They can help you cut through the noise. Excellent. Tim, i got to cut you off. I'm so sorry. But uh, we'll get you back on because we're up against the clock. Thank you so much. That's Tim Caulfield from the University of Alberta and Dispelling Conspiracy Theories. Addiction is a treatable chronic medical disease involving complex interactions among brain circuits, genetics, the environment, and an individual's life experiences. People with addiction use substances or engage in behaviors that become compulsive and often continue despite harmful consequences. Sober Curious is something else. And joining me on the line to talk about all of this is Michael Walsh. He's a recovery coach, invitational interventionist, a family coach, and consultant. Good evening, Michael. Good evening, Maureen. It's so good to chat with you this evening. I was looking at my notes and we chatted on Sunday, July 15, 2018, if you can believe it. Did we now? Wow, I didn't realize it had been that long. Well, nice to chat with you again. Thank you so much for coming on the show again to talk about this very important issue, addiction. Um, yeah. did, I, did I do the definition justice? Uh, is there anything that you would like to add to that? Well, um, thank you for having me. Uh, it's really uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you this evening and talk about a subject that I'm very passionate about. Um, I think you touched on um, one part of substance use and addiction. And what I have found is that I work with such a variety of clients. You use the term sober curious. And so there's kind of a low to moderate consumer of substances, be it alcohol, um, you know, uh, cannabis or other drugs. And then there's sort of the end of the scale um, sort of um, addiction piece, which which requires uh, um, a much more, imp- I guess, um, robust intervention, if you will. So, yes, you opened it uh, just fine. And then there's also a lot of other uh, clients in there that are looking for changes in their lifestyle, whether it's alcohol or drugs. So, mm-hmm. And I yeah. want to mention your website because I think that's also interesting. So we have a lot to cover here this evening in these next mm-hmm. few segments. It's homebasedrecovery.ca, which, which speaks volumes about the type of uh, services that you can offer. But before we go into that, what exactly is Sober Curious? Well, you know, it's uh, it's become a, a a term that was coined a number of years ago by a woman out of the UK, and I can't think of her name right at the moment. But it was, um, I think, a very important term because I think that a lot of people think that they have to um, quit drinking or using. Let's just talk about alcohol. They think that they have to quit drinking completely or forever. But some people are not ready to do that yet. And so being a little bit sober curious is just maybe uh, dipping their toes into taking a break or cutting back and really seeing what the impact of that is. And I know oftentimes that I have worked with clients who were sober curious. When we got to sort of the three or four or five month mark, they saw such important changes 
in their lives, whether it was just physical health, mental health, financial relationships, that they were kind of ready to rip the Band-Aid off and forget about Sober Curious. I really like living like substance-free and that sort of, um, you know, moved them along the spectrum, I guess. But yeah, I think Sober Curious is just an invitation for people. There's no mm-hmm. hard, fast rule around stopping I think it just opens a door for a lot of people who maybe think that they're slotted into one category of having to quit forever or completely. Right. And a lot of people I know are turned off by that. They think I can never not have a beer for the rest of my life. Um, but it, <laughs> yeah. are those, are those the people that, um, you know, is it, is it the people who could actually have a beer every now and again <laughs> or, you know, like where do you draw the line? between somebody yeah. who is addicted and somebody who just feels better if they don't drink and then decide, you know, so there's not this sort of, you know, never again, it's final. You can never drink alcohol again. Yeah. Um, is is know, it about how it's impacting their life and how their behaviors are? Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a very good point. Um, Again, I work with a variety of clients. I work with sort of low to moderate consumers, and then I do work at sort of the other end of the scale where someone's consumption is, you know, maybe daily, call it chronic, call it dependent, call it, um, you know, really affecting a lot, uh, many parts of their lives. And that individual um, would likely do well by a sort of higher level of care and support whatever that might look like for the individual. Would that person never be able to drink again? It's very possible. Um, You know, I don't sort of dictate what people are going to do or not going to do. Um, I work with them for them to come up with their own kind of ideas and solutions on how they want to change their lives. But, and I'm not a clinician, so I'm not sort of doing assessments. But if I felt someone was in a category where um, they you know, an assessment would be useful, whether it's, a, you know, a clinical psychologist, uh, for example, I would certainly make that referral. And then the psychologist could put out a diagnosis and also um, a treatment protocol for that person. So I don't mm-hmm. know if that answers your question. Yes, it does. Very, very nicely. Thank you so much. And um, just to the listeners, are you sober curious do you have an issue with alcohol or thinking you might have an issue with alcohol? Are you questioning your relationship with alcohol and thinking about trying sobriety? Give us a call. The number to call is one 877 Actually, you can call or text one 877 Would love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, you know, I have a clinical practice and I recently had a person in my clinical practice who had I've, I've seen this person, you know, multiple times over probably the last five or six years and, or or a bit more actually, probably 10 years. And they have stopped. They've had problems in their life. Um, They've stopped and they've started. They've stopped and they've started, stopped and started. I mean, I can remember at least four or five times this particular person has stopped and started again. And then most recently, this person said, my life has changed completely. You know, I haven't been drinking for, I can't remember how long, maybe it was five or six months. Um, And they said, I'm nicer to my wife. Um, Mm -hmm. I am nicer, you know, I'm getting up early in the morning. I am enjoying the sunrise. I am walking my dog. I am walking around. I'm exercising. There There were so many changes. And then 
um, they said, but you know what? I, I might just have another, have a glass of wine <laughs> or a beer, mm-hmm. you know, next month. <laughs> and it's right. like, you know, I was curious myself. <laughs> um, why would you do that when your life has changed so much? I can be fairly yeah. straightforward. Um, and, you know, they were wondering, like, oh, do you think I'm going to go over the edge if I just have one glass of wine? I think, you know, doesn't past behavior <laughs> indicate future behavior? Um, right. You know, past history indicate future, your future. And, I mean, this person was really considering, and, and they had made so many changes in their life, and they were so happy with how it was. But then it was just like, you know, I do want to, maybe I'll just have one. But, you know, I was curious if this person could just have one. Because they've never been able to just have one. They've always gone, you know, fallen off and gotten back on the, wa- what do you do? You fall off the wagon, get back on the wagon. They're on the wagon, fall yeah. off, I guess. Anyway, yeah. um, on and off the wagon, shall we say. one 877 That's 1-877-399-9898. If you have any questions about alcohol consumption or sober curious or your, um, how your life has been with or without alcohol, would love to hear from you. 1-877-399-9898. Um, so getting back to that. So you, now you also do some of this work in, um, and I don't know if you've just started doing it from the pandemic, which is a lot of the telehealth that I do as well. Um, you do telehealth recovery for people. Tell me about the home-based recovery. Yeah, well, the home-based recovery was my original business was um, is still uh, Michael Walsh, like recovery coaching, family coaching and interventions. Mm-hmm. And during the pandemic, as a matter of fact, my colleague, uh, Dr. Michael Berry, who's a registered psychologist in Victoria, and our colleague, Ewan Kirkaldi, who is a social worker, um, we sort of saw the need for, obviously, online treatment and there was already a few folks in that category, if you will, that um, were offering online addiction treatment, but they were also offering therapy and groups and all that kind of stuff. And we did see a, um, I guess, an opening for um, a lower priced option to do online addiction treatment still with like excellent um, um, you know, content. But we saw also that, we could add in a recovery coach as the main support for our program, home-based recovery. Mm-hmm. We originally started um, as a group offering, and we didn't get enough people to put groups together. But what we did find is a lot of people wanted to go through the program individually. Mm-hmm. And so the home-based recovery option really is um, its a lower-priced online addiction treatment option where We've the content is has been created by addiction specialists and um, uh, mental health experts in the field, and we put together over sixty videos in an online learning platform. We've attached a recovery coach to each client, and they go through the program anywhere from thirty to sixty days. We can, it's it's a thirty day program, but we've customized it for certain people. It's a very robust program. Like each module, there's sort of several steps that, that one's go, one goes through. And then the recovery coaching piece is um, uh, the first sort of 10 days you're meeting with a recovery coach every day for 45 minutes. And then day 11 to 20, 
is every second day for 45 minutes. And then day 21 to 30 is every 40, every third day for 45 minutes. So what we did find and uh, my colleagues both worked at inpatient treatment is that clients often said we don't have enough contact with a professional, whether it's a therapist or a coach or whoever it is, their primary contact. So that was one of the reasons why we did such a immersive um, uh, recovery coaching experience for the client. So, so this is a self-directed program. Is that it, where they're going online watching the videos or is somebody actually speaking with them? Yeah, that's a great question. So it is self-directed in the sense that the people are, they, we provide them access to the online learning portal. Mm-hmm. And there's several steps that they have to do. And they have to finish each step in order to go on to the next one. And then, of course, they're meeting real time with their recovery coach. I'm often the recovery coach that people are meeting with. And so we're debriefing the content that they learned that day, or we're just sort of working through other things that they may be dealing with. Um, Some of the people have never been to treatment before. This is their first experience at recovery, and the information can be very overwhelming. But having a recovery coach, uh, very immersive recovery coaching experience is just, it's been phenomenal. I mean, it's Uh just been a pleasure to watch these people uh, go through the program. And at the end, um, we also add on six months of recovery coaching aftercare support. So once the program ends, that's not it. We stick with them for another six months. My guest is Michael Walsh. He's a recovery coach, an invitational interventionist, family coach, and consultant. But we've got a caller on the line, Brian from Alberta. Good evening, Brian. Hi, good evening, uh... I, I just wanted to say that I think what he's doing is a great idea. Um, I use a combination of 12-step programs and uh, num- uh, probably six or seven counseling sessions over the years. Um, and it's a lifetime process. I've been sober for 40 years, and it's a lifetime process. You're never wow. finished working on yourself. Are, are mm. any of us? <laughs> I mean, if we all could be working on ourselves, that would be awesome. That's a fantastic, Brian. Forty years—that's amazing. And 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 it's it's you know it's one day at a time, okay? Like, mm-hmm. um, I you know I had stopped and started a few times before I before I finally quit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it comes down to the reason I you know the reason I I stopped is because of you know stopped banging my head against the walls because I felt so good when I stopped, you know? Right. Uh, and, and the first, you know, when I first entered a, a 12 step program, that's when I quit. Mm-hmm. I never looked back, but I'm going to say this and, and it, it was, I've had some very, very difficult times in that course of sobriety. Um, and you know, I, I would encourage anybody who wishes to embark upon this road seek all the help you can get and you know because there's so many different avenues that you can access mm-hmm. and and not everything the same thing doesn't work for everybody brian if you don't mind and you don't have to answer this i ask you what brought you to or what was your rock bottom if you will what made you decide i this doesn't work for me my rock bottom was when my parent when my dad loaded me on the plane and my mom had said to me Brian, you need to go somewhere else. I'm tired of watching you destroy yourself. Uh, yeah, you know, I hear that. Yeah, it's often words my, of somebody else. My, 
my dad said, you know, Brian, you'll achieve great things, but not here. <laughs> you know, that was, <laughs> that was basically it. My parents wanted nothing to do, you know, and I don't blame them. Eh? Like I put them through the ringer, you know, and you were quite young. Were yeah, you? I was 20. I was 23 when I uh, came, uh, when I sobered up. Wow. Amazing. Good for you. Congratulations. And thank you so much for sharing your story. So, you know, and I think that's all I really need. That, that was the point I wanted to make. It's a lifelong program. Absolutely. Thank you so Thank much, you, Brian. Brian. Um, there are some words of wisdom and support for what you're doing, Michael, uh, which is awesome. Um, Michael, I was going to ask, and Brian brought it up before I had a chance, um, how does your program compare to a 12-step program? Um, well, I would say that they're completely different, uh, as Brian said, and the beauty of the world today is that there's so many resources out there. So pick and choose what feels right, what feels comfortable, build your own kind of recovery program or system, if you will. Um, you know, 12 step is really just 12 step philosophy, whether it's whatever the anonymous is, alcohol, narcotics, cannabis. Um, and that is just separate on its own. So I have a lot mm -hmm. of clients who, do some 12-step work. Maybe they do Dharma recovery. They might do smart recovery. They might not do any of those kind of things, but maybe they do like a psychoeducational type support group. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's just so many options out there today, which is, which is the beautiful thing. I do want to just say that, and although, you know, you asked Brian, what was your rock bottom? I like to always say that um, I think there's many levels of <laughs> bottoms for people. Mm -hmm. Oh, and yeah. Some people can, you know, get ahead of going to that furthest rock bottom if they wish to explore, you know, their relationship to the use of substances. So, yes, um, I've heard terms like everyone. high bottom, mid bottom, yeah. you know, and, and you know, yeah. but I think people often think rock bottom is ending up on the street with no place mm -hmm. to live, no food, not going anywhere. And that's, I've never heard that as a rock bottom for anybody. I mean, mostly right. what I have heard is, you know, my wife had to put my address on my wrist because so, I would get so drunk, I had to show my address. I couldn't speak. So I showed right. the taxi driver or Uber driver my wrist so that they could bring right. me home, you know, kind of yeah. a thing. Or uh, somebody else who said that, you know, one of their kids had said something like, are you going to drink a bottle of wine and six beers every night after work, daddy? And he never right. drank again. Um, right. Yeah, so rock bottom is is something else. We could probably do a whole show on that. Um, but you're also an <laughs> invitational interventionist. Can you tell me what that is, please? I have I have I kind of have an idea, but not really. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a variety of interventions out there. There's sort of two of the most common ones. One of them is called the Johnson model, uh, which has been around for decades. That's the surprise kind of ambush style. Uh, intervention, which I think can be quite useful and effective in certain uh, circumstances. I do not want any part of that only because I just feel like um, my uh, who I am doesn't sort of align with that that kind of um, approach. But I'm not. Mm -hmm. It's 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 useful in the right circumstance. I do what's called invitational. All of my work really, like recovery coaching, family coaching, interventions, it's all really just inviting people together to collaborate. Eventually, you know, we start working with the family first, those who kind of reach out to us, and we get them on the same page. We coach them and lead them sort of toward the eventual family meeting 
Um, so we've got all of our ducks in a row. And then one of those people will invite their loved one, that person who is using the substances, and they'll just let them know, hey, listen, you know, we love you. We care about you. We're worried. We as a family do not know how to navigate this. We've hired some professionals, and we just want you to know we're having a family meeting. It's tomorrow at 10 o'clock, and we need you to be there. Mm-hmm. It sounds and great. And I, I, unfortunately, yeah. we're up against the clock, Michael. I feel terrible, okay. but I would love to have no you back worries. to talk about it. Um, but it sounds like a great idea. And I also want to talk about, you know, when people in the family need to deal with their own addiction before they can help mm-hmm. somebody else. Michael Walsh, recovery coach, homebasedrecovery.ca. You got questions? She's got answers. The nurse is in for Nurse Talk. Welcome to the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show. Hope you're all doing well out there. There's lots going on in the world. It's a tough time for a lot of people. Um, in this uh, hour, we've got lots to talk about as well. I love your calls and texts, one 877 Of course, I prefer your calls. <laughs> you prefer to text. one 877 because I like to talk. I like to talk to you. Um, why don't you like to talk to me? Anyway, feel free. Give me a call. one 877 You'll talk to me, right, Phil? Phil is behind the boards. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> always. Every time okay. the mic turns off or we go off air, we just chat, chat, chat. Exactly. <laughs> Chatting the whole time. <laughs> Perfect. Phil does a lot. Helps me quite a bit. Oh, stop great it. great guy. Stop you it. You do. You're awesome. You're fantastic. Anyway, but uh, in this hour, let's see, we're going to have a health quiz coming up. Um, we had a winner from last, from September, I guess, last week. And um, hopefully my winner is listening tonight because I just want to make sure that your gift card is in your town. I did send you an email, but uh, I haven't heard back from you yet. But if I don't, then I'm just going to send it and uh, get that off my plate. And well, you might have to travel somewhere else to find this particular one. Anyway. You get what I'm saying. Okay, uh, we're also going to be talking about some of the autoimmune diseases that you can get after getting a COVID infection. You know, a lot of people are really apathetic about COVID. There's a little bit of vaccine hesitancy going on out there. People are like, ah, I wasn't even that sick. I'm not worried about it. If I, It's like a little cold. Who cares? But it's actually not just a respiratory virus. It's a neurological disease. And there are some other medical conditions that you can get autoimmune autoimmune diseases are horrible so i'm going to be reviewing that for you um as well but um let's see a little inspirational poem for all of you out there who might be struggling at the moment and you know there's times in life we we do struggle and you know if you turn on the news it's just heart-wrenching and horrible what is happening out there. So um, just try to make things light and a little hopeful. And so to that end, joining me on the line right now is none other than Dr. Tomi Mitchell. You've heard her voice many times before. She's a medical doctor, family physician, who's also a productivity coach. Her website is wellnessstrategies.com. That's with three S's all together. Wellness, wellnessstrategies.com. Good evening, Dr. Mitchell. How are you? Good evening, Maureen. I'm well. Thank you for the kind introduction. 
You're very welcome. Thanks so much for joining me on the program tonight. You know, we're, we hear these things like Suzanne Summers uh, died of breast cancer um, very recently. I'm not exactly, maybe it was today. I'm not exactly sure. I think it was. Um, and also uh, this week we heard that Mary Lou Retton, the American gymnast, uh, had a, was severely ill with yeah. a very uh, unusual form of pneumonia. Uh, we're heading into the winter. We're heading into flu and COVID season, what has become COVID season, and yeah. also pneumonia as well. For the listeners, could you just tell them what uh, pneumonia is? Yeah, a pneumonia is an infection that affects part of the lungs. It could be a, a small lobe. It could be the entire side. It's an, Just think of it an infection. It could be bacterial. It could be viral. It could be rarely parasitic. But, I mean, it's an infection in the lungs, and it sucks. Yes. And uh, to put it bluntly, um, and, and how, you know, so Mary Lou Retton, from what I gather, um, was on a ventilator. So she needed respiratory support, uh, which is very frightening. We heard a lot about that. People must've learned about that, uh, during the pandemic. Um, so, you know, you don't typically think of somebody needing ventilatory support. Uh, first of all, how is pneumonia treated? And and are there a couple of kinds of pneumonia? Yeah. So pneumonia it's often treated with antibiotics, well, most bacterial type. There's viral pneumonias. There's rare, like, parasitic pneumonias. But, I mean, typically bacterial is the most common and then viral. So you treat the infection and then you give supportive treatment because we know that there's no – most viruses have to run their courses. So if the if someone is not breathing properly, we give medications to help them breathe properly. If you have a fever, we give medications to help you reduce your fever. We hydrate you if you're dehydrated. So um, there's various types of pneumonia and obviously varying severity. Definitely this case was extremely severe and life-threatening because by the time you're in ICU, it is really bad. So mm-hmm. I, I'm glad she's pulling through. Oh, absolutely. And and there was some good news delivered today by her daughters that um, that she was actually had turned a corner, was starting to get better. And so we're very um, uh, happy about that. Um, but yeah. also, you know, how is pneumonia prevented and are there vaccines to prevent pneumonia? Yeah, there are. The V word, the other yeah, V word. <laughs> I know. Yeah, the other one for you, especially the work you do. <laughs> yeah, so just like the vagina COVID, advisor. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so airborne. You know, 54% of um, pneumonia is caused by dirty hands, right? Airborne. So I'm going to talk to you and have pneumonia and spread particles of joy in the air and you inhale it and voila, you have an infection. Um, obviously not washing your hands before you eat. You know, that was really popular during COVID. I think it kind of fell off popularity. I don't know why. Lately, people mm-hmm. tend not to do that anymore. Um, so, someone sneezing, coughing, you know, that's pneumonia. It spreads very easily. Right. And what are some of the symptoms that people would experience? Yeah, it could be sudden onset high fever, fever, um, chills, productive cough. Shortness of breath, malaise, this generalized tiredness, just not feeling like yourself. And there's some people, honestly, walk in pneumonia, quote unquote, pretty much feel okay, but don't realize that their body is fighting this infection. I've seen that too, where they just Mm -hmm. kind of feel generalized, just meh, but not like sick, sick, but they have pneumonia. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and some people just are prone to pneumonia, aren't they? They can get it one year and they yes. get it. they're kind of susceptible to it, I should 100%. say. 100%. So anyone who's immunocompromised and even age over 65 is a risk factor. That's so heartbreaking, right? So mm-hmm. diabetic, any med- medications can compromise your system. Someone who's had the flu or COVID, that mm-hmm. can weaken your immune system and then trigger a superimposed like infection on top of that, like pneumonia. So mm-hmm. someone who's stressed, someone who's not sleeping well, someone who's not eating well, somebody who's carrying a bunch of extra weight classified as obesity. Like there's so many risk factors for pneumonia. Right. Absolutely. But people typically can recover from pneumonia. 100%. Most of the time, people just think they have a really bad cold. They recover. Mm-hmm. Um, however... As we get older and as more chronic diseases kind of pile up on a person's body, pneumonia is not just, oh, it's just pneumonia. No, it's, it can be life-threatening and yeah, it can it, be very serious. And, and we have to really take care of ourselves, especially as we um, head into the winter and we all head indoors. And, you know, people probably aren't being as diligent about washing their hands. And, you know, we, we're not oh, really having not at the all. mask. You, yeah. Right? And the hand sanitizers, they're like disappearing from the gas stations and stuff. Like you don't see them. Like, where's the, <laughs> like, what happened? <laughs> what exactly. Happened? Exactly. Um, and, you know, the. And there's a vaccine uh, you mentioned. Yes, there's a vaccine. Yes, the vaccine as well. So people can get the pneumonia vaccine to prevent that. Um, and if you're at risk, if you had it before, if you're of a certain age, you probably should get it. But um, what was I going to say? I've lost my train of thought about, oh, I can't remember what it was. But anyway, uh, being, oh yeah, people aren't wearing masks. And so when, when we were all wearing masks, there was this little side benefit that you didn't get any upper respiratory tract infections. Was yeah, awesome. I said that all the time. Like, you know, Doc, I've hardly been sick, and I don't know why. And I'm like, yes. really? Let me tell e- you something. Exactly. This is why. Exactly. Um, have you had pneumonia out there? One eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. And I'm going to be reading all these text messages that I've been getting that have been uh, coming in here in the last couple of minutes. Um, in the in the in a couple of segments at the uh, nine thirty hour. Pacific time uh, in about 15 or 20 minutes, because right now I saw a um, very interesting article, Dr. Mitchell, about yeah. how people, and we know that Ozempic is a wildly popular drug. Yeah. So many people are on it. People who shouldn't be on it are on it or also on Wigovi because it it's used for diabetes type two. However, um, a lot of people are using it for the weight loss benefit yeah. that it has. But we're also seeing some side effects that are frightening, like gastroparesis and constipation mm-hmm. and nausea and vomiting, not something I'd want. Um, but I I totally understand people who want to use that medication um, in conjunction with their physicians. But there's so many online prescriptions and just everyone in their brother it seems to be on it. And mm-hmm. people are looking good. People are dropping the weight. And now it's yeah. like, if I see somebody who's lost weight, my first thought is like, I wonder if they're on Ozempic. They have to stay on it. My guest is Dr. Tomi Mitchell. You've heard her voice before. Certainly, she's a medical doctor, family physician, who's also a productivity coach. Her website is wellnessstrategies.com. Reach out if you need her assistance. She's awesome. We were talking about pneumonia because Mary Lou Retton um, has been hospitalized but is doing better, fortunately, um, as a result of a very rare pneumonia. And now 
Thanks so much for staying on the line, by the way, Dr. Mitchell. Appreciate it. My pleasure. So I saw this, um, you know, these weight loss drugs, Ozempic, Wegovy, um, you know, which are costing, I think they cost about $1,000 a month uh, if you don't have insurance. Yeah, What's in the that? US, it's a thousand in the US, about two fifty in Canada. A month? Yeah, a thousand in the US, it's about two fifty Canadian dollars oh, in Canada. Oh, that's a bargain in in Canada. That's like the, oh yeah, Canadian drugs are much cheaper. Wow. Yeah, um, thousand okay. US dollars. <laughs> a thousand yeah. US dollars if you're in the US, but two hundred and fifty dollars Canadian. Yes. If you're in, in Canada. Canada. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, so many people are on it. And then now that you've just said that about the price, <laughs> more people are going to go on it. That You're going to save right? money in food. You're going to eat way less food um, when you're on this medication. So that's going to cover the cost of like $61 a, a week. Anyway, yep. so that's awesome. But there's another benefit that um, weight loss drugs may help. And it's estimated to save, guess who? The airlines, millions. Do you know why? One eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. Anyway, Doctor Mitchell, do tell us why weight loss drugs can save the airlines millions, and hopefully, it's going to be passed on to the consumer like me because I love to fly. Yes, so it's saving the airlines millions, if not billions, because the more weight the plane carries, the more gas fuel jet fuel it burns. So even just like an average person loses ten pounds, which honestly. Isn't a lot. They're set to save billions a year, right? They've, you know, we talk about airlines charging for um, every suitcase, charging for everything, and that's in their attempt to improve their bottom line. But yeah, there's definitely savings for the shareholders for the airlines. Whether or not they'll pass it to us, I don't know. I hope so. But. Who knows? I yeah. I mean, I know that they that airlines are obsessed about reducing jet fuel. I mean, we're all oh, yeah. obsessed about reducing yeah. fuel. People are buying electric vehicles. People are buying the hybrids. Um, it's you know, it was costing me like a hundred and twenty five dollars to fill my tank just about two weeks ago, and then mm-hmm. last week I did notice a drop, and it only cost a hundred. Um, but you know, the cost of fuel for all of us is. Um, you know, it's outrageous, but, um, for the airlines, you know, the prices, I don't know if you've been flying recently, but oh, if you've I fly seen a lot. like, I fly yeah. a lot. and a lot of people, have you noticed the prices of the airline tickets going up? I definitely have. And, you know, people are, people aren't happy with it. And it's also to talk about trying to fit more people in more, fit more people in the plane. They're talking about these like new chairs where you could basically have people stacked on top of each other. Like it's crazy. In the attempt yeah. to, again, that bottom line. But maybe if we have a compromise between weight loss and then we get some, you know, convenience back, maybe some leg space, some free snacks, maybe. <laughs> oh, no. Absolutely. Nobody's going to eat like them because everybody's the on Ozempic. Yeah, yeah, everyone's on Ozempic, so they won't be eating them. They won't even need to give snacks out on planes. But looking to another industry, for example, like restaurants, you know, yes. people may not, they might lose money. People might not be ordering the appy, the salad the main, the dessert, the wine, that they, they may not have room for all of it. That's if true. Yeah. That's true. We're, I think we're going to see big economic changes. I'm um, excited for it, Maureen. I'm like giddy excitement. <laughs> well, they're going to raise the prices of restaurants. <laughs> so they're going to raise the price. 
and restaurant prices are are through the roof right now. But yeah. I, I have noticed they're giving a little bit more food these days, which I don't really care for because in the U.S., I mean, the plates are massive. Here, they're yeah. not so bad in Canada. Yeah. But they're getting yeah. more and more, I, w- I will notice. I, I have noticed. One other question I had for you, um, just in terms of um, Suzanne Summers passing away uh, yeah. today, God rest her soul. Um, she's talked a lot about, and menopause is having a moment, let me say. There's a lot of talk about menopause. A lot of people, some people don't want to hear about menopause. Um, but a lot of people have not been educated about menopause, whether it be women who go through menopause, if God willing, if they live to that age, they will go yeah. through menopause. Some women will be symptomatic. A lot of women will not be symptomatic. Those who are symptomatic, they can suffer tremendously. There's all sorts of choices out there. One of, I talked earlier with uh, Tim Caulfield about this. You know, I, I just am just livid about the misinformation and the marketers all over Instagram, you know, taking advantage of people at a certain time of their life and in particular perimenopause and menopause, the time period can last like 10 years and they get misinformation or they get, I mean, I saw a ridiculous question the other day. I mean, a good question, sorry, a ridiculous answer by somebody who's not a medical professional and, um, you know, just asked a question about the use of Premarin cream and they, they went, you know, just gave, uh, you know, in this effort to just say anything, I guess, because they want to keep a customer, you know, gave an answer instead of saying, I'm not a clinician. I don't know why that is not working for you. Um, I knew why, you know, I mean, <laughs> because I deal with this on, on the daily. But Suzanne Summers was somebody who wrote a lot of books and promoted uh, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. And yet she ended up getting breast cancer and ultimately dying of breast cancer and continued. My understanding is she continued on that um, after, you know, while during her breast cancer diagnosis. Um, What, what are your thoughts on misinformation? We only have about 30 seconds. Sorry. Yeah. It makes my blood boil, especially when there are people who actually know what they're talking about. But again, let's do something with it. Let's continue to talk about it. Let's continue to talk about these articles and um, answer, an answer because we're both clinicians, we're both experienced, and we need it's our duty to say something because people are listening to quacks half the time yeah. on social media, and that's a fact that's putting it nicely. And it's they're dangerous, it, so and that's what really bothers me a lot because people are being harmed. That's right, and they're dangerous salespeople. That's all yeah. they are. They just want to sell a sell a made up program. And you know, the other thing I often think that the you know the clinicians, the doctors, the nurses, the pelvic floor physiotherapists, the pharmacists—I mean—they're doing the good work. So, not all pharmacists. Some, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're they're more dispensing medication. They're, no, but the yeah. people like are on the front lines. They're you know medically trained people, and and patients are coming. I mean, I'm overloaded. Have a wait list. I'm sure you're the same. You yeah, know, and busy. it's, you know, at least the people are coming to see us anyway. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Mitchell. I really appreciate you coming on the show once again. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.